Welcome to a special online bonus edition of Family Life Today. I'm Bob Lapine, along with Dennis Rainey. We're continuing a conversation that we began on air with our guest, Al Shee, talking about suicide. You had friends, family members, you've never had suicide come near to you, have no, you? No, I, I had a good friend who, who lost his brother to suicide. I've, I've had adult friends who've lost a brother, a sister, um, a parent to suicide, but uh, never been in our uh, immediate family. I was in high school, and a, a close friend of mine who lived right up the street, we, we got the news that her father had taken his own life in the basement of their home, and I don't remember if she was the one who had found him or not, but I just remember all of us being stunned by the news and and not knowing exactly how to how to respond, how to grieve, how to come near somebody like that and bring comfort. And we need folks like our guest uh, Al She, who has really gone very near to uh, the loss of a loved one. His father. Uh, took his own life uh, a number of years ago, 20 years exactly. And uh, Al, you're, uh, you're a, a writer and editor for InterVarsity Press. You've written your own book, Grieving a Suicide. I was just wondering, uh, you, you had to have reflected a great deal about your relationship with your dad. Yeah. What's your, uh, what's your fondest memory, your favorite memory of your dad? Probably my favorite memory was a trip when I was about 12 years old, and we went on a history trip around the U.S. We went from New York to Philadelphia, Boston, uh, Washington, D.C., and we got to see all the monuments and museums, the National Mall, and it was just a great time of uh, being together with my, my dad and my family um, and, and seeing part of the American story and history. Yeah, it's interesting that that memory would stand out. I'm sure it was a great bonding time, but I'm just thinking about your experience as an immigrant family and wanting to make that a part of your heritage. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, my parents were from Taiwan, and they uh, came to the States in the 1960s, and I was uh, born in 1972 in New York City. And so we've been grateful for... uh, a country that welcomed immigrants and and that we could be part of that American story. Yeah. And as as Dennis asks you that question, you, you talk in your book about pitfalls of remembrance when it comes to uh, the loss of a loved one by suicide. What are, what are some of the pitfalls? Some families, when they lose a a loved one to suicide, especially a child, especially a teenager, they want to preserve the room, the bedroom, or they want to keep a static um, memory of who they were and where where things were at. And that can sometimes actually hurt us in our grief um, because we don't fully come to grips with the reality that they're gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it is common for grievers to think, oh, this isn't real. They'll be back. It, they were just kidding, you know, something like that. And in order to fully work through the reality of their death, we need to acknowledge the the reality that they are indeed gone. One pitfall in particular is um, sometimes parents will try to hide a hard truth from children because they'll they'll say things in euphemistic terms. They'll say, "Oh, uh, they, daddy went on a trip," or "They, you know, mommy went had an accident," or something like that. And that might be a stopgap uh, for a while, especially if children are too young to understand it. But what often happens is that uh, 
the child will feel deceived mm. by loved ones if they find out later that, oh, your, your, your parent actually died by suicide. The author, Frederick Beekner lost his dad to suicide when he was very young, 10 years old or something like that. And the family never talked about it. And it was as if the father had no longer existed. Mm. Um, and so in trying to forget about the death, they forgot about his life. And that is one of the pitfalls. So if you were talking to a, a six-year-old today, and you were trying to explain a suicide that a parent had taken his or her own life. What kind of language would you put around that for a six-year-old? Counselors sometimes use medical language because children can understand a, a um, like a disease. And so just as some people die because of cancer or other things that go wrong in their body, your mom had a sickness that something went wrong in how she was thinking. And so she took this path because something went wrong in her mind or her brain. Hmm. That, that's one way of, of, of addressing it. She, she had a sickness in her brain and, and, and didn't survive it. Yeah. That kind of language. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I've seen about people who survive a suicide of a loved one is they, they ask the question, what were the hints? Had they given us any clues that they were going to do this? That's normal for a situation like this, isn't it? Right, yeah. One friend said, I wanted to be like Nancy Drew. I was a d detective putting the pieces together. Could I have figured this out? And that is part of our search for answers. It's a part of the search for comfort. If We, we think that if we can just make sense of it all, then it, things will be better. Yeah. And the reality is, many times the person who has decided to take his life, okay, He's at peace because the decision has been made. And so to those around him, it looks like he was happy. He seemed to be content. And, and that's, that's terribly perplexing and confusing to the living. Isn't you're, it? you're saying there can be a period between the turmoil and the actual act where there can be... Yeah, I'm thinking about a, a young man who took his own life. Um, he was in his 20s man, he was sharp, he was loved by all, and, and his family couldn't figure it out. No telltale There signs. was none. In fact, the last week of his life was among the happiest days the, the survivors mentioned. They were clueless about what was happening. That's why when he, he came up missing, they didn't know what to do. How often did you hear from people that that there was not depression or anxiety, but everybody appeared happy and, and carefree. There, there certainly is a range. In in many cases, there are hints or telltale signs. People who have struggled with chronic depression or bipolar, uh, long-term chronic mental illness. So in some cases, people can say, oh, we saw this coming. We just didn't know when it was going to happen. Mm. In other cases, there is this uh, complete shock and surprise because the person had no, given no indication, no clues. Um, do, do you often find when you dig deeper that the anxiety or the depression was hidden and those people were just uh, on the surface living a carefree life? Or do some people just live a carefree life and then give up one day? It is probably less common that somebody gives up in an instant or in a moment. Different people might have a reversal of some sort, losing a job, losing a spouse, a divorce, uh, and they are resilient. That does not send them towards suicidal ideation. Other people who may have had longer-term struggles with depression 
an incident like that can be more of a trigger. So in that moment, they choose. Yeah, and there have to be uh, listeners who have teenagers right now, perhaps a grandparent, mom, a dad, and they're thinking about a teenager today, which is a pretty confusing time, can be a discouraging time, a lot of self-doubt for teenagers. You have two teenagers. Have you ever wondered if your sons ever contemplated suicide? In our family, we've been very open about talking about uh, depression and if anybody's struggling with anything to talk. Uh, and that if, if we are not the right people as parents to talk to, that there are other people to talk to, youth pastors, teachers, counselors. Often for children and teenagers, uh, there is a bit of an egocentrism where it's all about me. I, all I can see is my own life, and I can't see a, a wider picture. So to help broaden the vantage point to say, Lots of people are struggling. You are not alone in this. Here are support groups. Here are communities. Uh, here are counselors that can help you walk through this, whatever your struggle might be. What would you say to the parent who says, I'm afraid to introduce the subject because I may be inflaming an idea? Most of the time, you are not introducing an idea that they have not already thought about. On the contrary, you are giving them permission to talk about something that you don't want them to hide to themselves. So I would say... It's fine. It, don't worry about introducing the topic of suicide. Al, in your extended family, there was a history of mental illness. Does that cause you to wonder about yourself or about your boys, whether something is going to emerge later in life? Well, just like all of us have family histories of whether it's cancer or alcoholism or something, there are areas that we need to be aware of in our histories uh, to be careful of. And yes, it is something that uh, a few years ago, I, I saw a theater show, a musical about mental illness. And one of the scenes that jumped out at me was one where the daughter, the teenage daughter, starts freaking out because she worries that she's going to end up like her mom who has mental illness. And she, she starts crying and yelling um, that this could happen to me. And I resonated with that teen daughter because I thought, oh, that's articulating something that I have not said out loud. Mm. You know, because I lost my dad this way, could this happen to me? Mm. Could I abandon my family this way? And so it has, for me, increased my resolve to say, let this never happen to me, our family. I, I do not want to do to my family what my dad inadvertently did to ours. So are there things you're doing to try to make sure your mental health is is stable and healthy? Did you see a counselor after all this? I, did, I did go to support groups. Um, so suicide survivor support groups where I could find communities of other people who had gone through the same, same kind of loss. Mm. I personally have not gone to counseling, although I very much encourage people. Counseling is one of the ways that God provides for us within the body of Christ to mm. see counselors and therapists and others who are trained to help us navigate all of the challenges of life. There's a, um, a custom part of your culture to have a portrait of a loved one hung, I guess, in the family once that loved one is gone. Is that right? Right. Uh, in Chinese culture, we do have pictures of loved ones who have passed. And so in some ways, it is a way of reminding us that uh, they are part of our history. Uh, they are in some ways still present with us in who we are. They have made us who we are and to live our lives in honor of them and in remembrance of them. And so, yes, I, I do have a photo of my dad, uh, an enlargement. Um, Did you wrestle with whether to have that hung in your home after your dad died? No, I was 
I was glad to have the the physical reminder to have pictures. I like the practice of remembrance. It's a very biblical thing, I think, uh, mm-hmm. that we we need to remember who we are, um, the family that we come from, and to honor that history and heritage. I know when a suicide occurs, there have been some people who have wondered about uh, the eternal destiny of the person who has taken his or her own life. Um, in some traditions, it's been taught that suicide is an unforgivable sin. Did you have to dig in and, and uh, study the scriptures a little more carefully after your dad took his life? Yes, I did grapple with that question because it is a tradition in, in certain church traditions. And really that idea that suicide is the unforgivable sin or that suicides automatically go to hell, it's not from scripture. It comes more from medieval theology, and mm-hmm. specifically Augustine. There is an overemphasis, I think, on what was considered the, the mortal sin. They were taking sin seriously and wanted to not minimize uh, its 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 seriousness. Uh, but they ended up having some sort of a transactional view of theology, saying that uh, of sin and repentance, saying that if you committed a, a sin, you had to repent of it, otherwise you would not be forgiven of it. And that is far more mechanical a view of of sin and forgiveness than we see in Scripture. Scripture never says that suicide is a, an eternal sin that separates us from God. There are seven suicides in the Bible, from King Saul to Judas, and all of them are portrayed negatively in the narratives. There's, they are not at all how God intends our lives to go. In every case, something has gone wrong in the person's life and story. But in none of those cases is suicide named as a reason that any of them would be eternally separated from God. In fact, Samson, who died at his own hand, is actually remembered in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of the Faithful. Yeah. And so I have been helped by thinking of uh, suicide in the literary category of tragedy. In a tragedy, in a classical Greek or Shakespearean tragedy, the hero, the tragic protagonist, is undone by their own fatal flaw. Something has gone wrong in their story, and circumstances overwhelm them, and they die or whatever, however the tragedy ends. And when I read my dad's life through that lens of tragedy, it helps me make sense of, uh, here's a story, how, how has the story gone wrong? I realized that my dad did not kill himself to hurt me or others. All that he was thinking about was ending his own pain. He was in a place of pain, and he did not see any other way out of it. I think he thought that his medical bills were bankrupting us. Mm. That wasn't the case. He had insurance and everything, but he thought he was becoming a burden to the family, and so he thought that this was part of his way out. And so to understand that part of the story helps me at least understand and empathize with uh, his actions. It doesn't excuse his actions, but it helps me understand the twist in his tale. When you were growing up, you didn't see a lot of evidence of your dad trusting Christ. He didn't evidence faith, but there was a point before his stroke where he right. made a profession of faith, right? Right. My dad was a scientist, an atheist for most of his life, but in his later years, uh, he was growing in his spiritual openness. And as my mom interacted with him, my mom was a faithful believer all her life. And so my mom, through her witness to him of a life of 
hope and faith showed him a different way. And so at some point in those later years, he did come to a point of recognizing his need for Christ, his need for God. There's hope for atheistic scientists. Yep. Yes, there is. That's good news. Yeah. I want to go back to the teenagers for a second because I know that when uh, there is a suicide of a, uh, a teen at a high school, junior high, that reverberates through the entire student body. Do you have any coaching for parents who are near a situation or have been near a situation where a teen has taken his or her life and something you ought to do with your own children as you have normalized it in conversations with your with your sons? I think there's a danger with schools and the risk of copycat suicides. There is a phenomena when a suicide takes place in a high school that others may be more likely to attempt as a result. And so something that counselors and school administrators try to do is to prevent any kind of uh, celebration of the of the act. And you talked about how a suicide is a tragedy or occurs out of a tragedy, like your dad had a stroke. Uh, you had a tragedy when you were a sophomore in high school. Some might minimize it, but you fell in love with a young lady, head over heels, right? Yeah, during my sophomore year of high school, I did experience a, a unrequited... Um, relationship that that spun me in a bit of a depression and I was at a camp and during the summer and was uh, showing evidence of feeling down and my roommate noticed and was concerned about me and asked me about it and I later found out that the camp counselors actually put me on suicide watch Wow! and I am grateful that my roommate and the counselors were looking out for me and keeping an eye on me and so we do need community around us to be part of our lives and to watch out for each other. And if you today saw a coworker or a colleague, a friend, a family member, and you were concerned about depression with them, would you take them out to lunch and say, are you okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Coffee, lunch, that's a great way to just sort of maintain relationship and see how they're doing. Would you ask? Would you say... Have you ever thought about suicide? You can. Yes, I have. I've, I've done that in, in conversations at times. And anybody ever said, yeah, I have? No, not to me. If they did, what would be your next step? Do you have people that you can talk to? Hmm. A counselor, a therapist, a pastor? And if not... Can I'll I help you? Right, yeah. right. You, you, you want to make sure that this doesn't just is not just idle conversation. Somebody says, I've had those thoughts. Right. You, you need to intervene, take that seriously, and, and help them out. Right. Schools have counseling departments and, and resources available to help with that. I would also point people to um, Kay Warren's website at, at Saddleback, uh, yeah. hopeformentalhealth.org, uh, hope for number four mental health, um, and she has resources there. Yeah, we've got a, a link on our website at familylifetoday.com if people want to get that information, so uh, we'll share that with folks. A number of years ago, I was... Um, leading a Bible study with a number of wounded warriors. I don't know, there was maybe eight or nine. And uh, I got a chance to ask these guys my favorite question. Listeners know this who listen regularly. Uh, I like to ask men and women, what's the most courageous thing you've ever done? And I was not prepared for the answers these men gave. They went around the circle of the table, and some of them were on the, the battlefield where they did things that were heroic but most of them were in their private lives, the things they did that you wouldn't think a wounded warrior would, 
would say. Well, one of them said, the most heroic thing I've ever done was not pull the trigger. Hmm. And he said, I was on guard duty, and I was depressed, discouraged. There was no one there. And I took the gun out of my holster, put it in my mouth. And as he was telling this story, he was perspiring. He was reliving the moment. And he said the most courageous thing was, I didn't do it, and that I've continued to press into life. And, you know, I've never been close to someone who's been that discouraged, that despondent, but it's real. What would you say to that person right now who's listening to us, and maybe they haven't decided not to pull the trigger? First, I'd mention that that uh, veterans in particular are at higher risk because of PTSD, because of the things that they've seen and done. Uh, a lot of veterans struggle with uh, suicide and suicide risk, and there are resources available to them. Uh, veterans Administration, uh, VA have uh, counseling and resources specifically for, for veterans. For those who struggle with the possibility of suicide, I think it's an interesting compare and contrast to look at the life of Judas and the life of Peter. Uh, both of them failed Jesus. Both of them betrayed or denied Jesus. Judas chose to end his life. Peter didn't, uh, and he was restored. And that is the choice that all of us have. Uh, Deuteronomy says, choose this day, choose life. Um, and we all have the choice between Judas and Peter. And the story of Scripture, the story of the church, is that when we follow the path of life, when we follow Peter's example and not Judas, that's when continuous life is worth living for. And Al, I, I just want to thank you for writing this book, uh, Grieving a Suicide. I think it's not only going to help those who have uh, lost a loved one, but it, it may prevent someone. In fact, I'm sure it has been used to prevent many from taking their lives. Thanks for being obedient and sharing your story and your journey with our listeners, and uh, hope you'll come back again someday. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a crew ministry. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.